Hi, my name's Chris Livingstone. I'm a writer and a musician, and this is the Hogtown Music Podcast, a show about music and musicians. This episode is inspired by the film Whiplash, a fictional story of a student at a New York music conservatory who is driven to the brink of insanity by his teacher in the pursuit of musical perfection. The movie stars Miles Teller as Andrew, the student, and J.K. Simmons as Fletcher, his brutal and bullying professor. The movie came out in 2014 and was written and directed by Damien Chazelle. And I actually only watched this movie recently, but I really loved it when I saw it. And on one level, it's simply a great story full of drama and tension and ultimately good music. But what really struck me was the central question that it attempts to address. A question that we are very interested in here at the Hogtown Music Podcast. The question is, if you want to be great at something, what do you have to do to achieve it? And what are you willing to give up for it? And philosophically, is it right, worthy, or even honourable to pursue the absolute pinnacle of excellence, even if it's at the expense of family, friends, and your own sanity? In this episode, we'll be exploring what perfection means, how to define it, and ultimately, we'll try to decide if it is indeed worth the struggle. Now, I think when many of us think about the pinnacles of musicianship, we often think firstly of classical music or jazz. Why is that? Well, I think primarily it's because those disciplines are technically tough. They require the deepest grasp of music theory, of personal discipline, and of mastery of the chosen instrument, which can take literally years and years, decades of dedicated practice to achieve. In the case of classical music, I would also argue, and this is just my point of view, of course, that it is a form that's less open to interpretation. And I'm sure others would argue vehemently against this, but bear with me. So a composer, let's take Beethoven, for example, has written a piece of music. He's ordered the notes, assigned the tempo and the feel of the music, uh, and exactly what should be played and and when and how uh, it should be played. The musician attempts to replicate what is written on the page exactly, but the degree to which this can be achieved can be judged reasonably objectively. How closely did that musician follow what was written down? And so, within this limited definition, it may be more straightforward to determine if the player has got the piece exactly right. Another excellent film is Shine, starring Jeffrey Rush. It's um, the true story about the pianist David Helfgott, a man who was driven to achieve perfection from an early age and suffered bitterly with the consequences of it. Now, David Helfgott himself is a figure of some controversy, and to be fair, many critics have ripped his play into shreds uh, at one time or another. But I think that this version stands up to the reasonably uneducated ear, such as myself. So let's first take a listen to David Helfgott playing Flight of the Bumblebee. So as I mentioned, there's a lot of debate as to whether David Helfgott is actually a true musical genius, but one thing is not in doubt. The circumstances that caused him to become as good as he is caused him to suffer significantly for many years with mental illness. 
And in fact, there is a lot of research on the personality trait of perfectionism and its links to various forms of mental illness. This is demonstrated in Whiplash. Um, clearly, in his pursuit of perfection, Andrew, the student, is willing to let his hands bleed. He suffers through the pain and sacrifice of his own personal safety, all in the attempt to achieve his goal of becoming the perfect drummer. And I think we can all understand why this could be the case. Practicing for hours and hours, focusing your brain on one task, often at the mercy of a merciless teacher, it's bound to cause stress, especially in younger, undeveloped, uh, less robust minds that do not possess a resilience to it. And so there appears to be a common thread through these examples, a single personality trait. A number of articles have been published in Psychology Today that attempt to explain this linkage. Research shows that perfectionism can be detrimental to uh, development and to health. Perfectionism as a personality trait is, a strong, is strongly correlated to performance anxiety. And it's also linked to other maladaptive behaviors such as procrastination and eating disorders and even suicide. So when a perfectionist mentality does in fact drive musicians to practice a lot to develop their skills, it has been suggested that the passion is obsessive in nature, which can come from feelings of guilt and anger and a general lack of satisfaction with one's musical life. And we see this trait playing out in other creative fields too. Vincent van Gogh, one of the most famous painters of all time, the Impressionist, lived a life in poverty and painted many, many versions of the same picture in an attempt to get exactly what he wanted. He was also institutionalized for a period due to depression and psychotic episodes and eventually shot himself in the chest, thereby ending his 37-year-old life. He only sold a single painting in his entire lifetime, but now his works sell in the tens of millions of dollars. We also see this personality trait in many sports stars too, who have been driven or have driven themselves to feats of physical greatness. And maybe, like with musicians, the presence of an overbearing coach can also be a factor. The other discipline in which we normally think about great musicians uh, is jazz, where we often find switching time signatures, switching keys and fast and fluid improvisation, all of which require a mastery of one's instrument. In Whiplash, the teacher Fletcher tells Andrew about Charlie Parker who, as legend has it, had a cymbal thrown at his head by Joe Jones, the drummer for Count Basie's orchestra, after he failed to keep track of chord changes during a performance. This was a defining moment for Parker, and was the catalyst for turning him into the accomplished artist that he became. It inspired him to practice harder and longer, and legend has it that he practiced for 15 hours a day for years and years. So Charlie Parker has a special place in my heart because my grandfather, who was a professional saxophonist, had a picture of him in his bedroom. So for, from an early age of about three, I was always aware of who Parker was. Now Parker's nickname was Bird, and incidentally Clint Eastwood directed a great film starring Forrest Whitaker about Charlie Parker. So let's take a listen to one of his most famous pieces. This is Now's the Time.
Charlie Parker died at age 34 due to his chronic addictions of heroin and alcohol. But he did much to innovate in the field of jazz and was at the vanguard of bebop, a new take on jazz that emerged in the 50s. And I wonder what the correlation there was with Parker's addictive nature and his ability to reach the heights of jazz. It certainly seems like the drive to put in the extra practice, to push through the pain barrier and force himself not to give up was really an important factor. And maybe that's why drugs are prevalent, because it's the only way to escape that type of mindset for a period of time. We see this obsessive nature clearly in Whiplash. Both the character of Andrew and Fletcher, student and teacher, who in their own ways are driven by the same need, neither of them are nice people. Neither of them are particularly people who you'd want to be friends with, and interestingly, neither of them seem to have any friends. Andrew dumps his girlfriend to focus on his drumming. Fletcher doesn't appear to have any family at all. And so it appears that this personality trait is woven into their DNA. And the research appears to suggest this too. I've seen this firsthand over the years with playing with different musicians. Some obsess over every nuance of their sound, making sure that their pedals are exactly right, their amp is dialed in perfectly, and they practice for hours at a time. And some just switch on their gear and go. Let's turn to another musician who was known to be a perfectionist, Leonard Cohen. Now this is a slightly different type of perfectionism. It's in the composition rather than in the performance. For those of you who don't know Leonard Cohen, he recently passed away. In his, he was in his mid-80s and had a 50-year-long career. He was known to work on his songs for years at a time, picking up drafts and tinkering with them until he got them exactly right. And the process for him personally could be tortuous and he agonised over a single word for days at a time, crawling around on his hands and knees in his room at the Chelsea Hotel as he dredged his conscience for exactly the right phrase. One of his most famous songs is Hallelujah, and I think most people agree that the Jeff Buckley version cover of that song is the definitive version of it. But in its writing, Cohen toiled endlessly, with draft after draft, making sure that the lyrics were exactly what he wanted. And so this perfectionism is closer to that of Vincent van Gogh. It's the constant refinement in the pursuit of getting exactly what's in your head down on paper. But that also takes discipline and drive. And either way, it's the unending quest for exactly the right combination of words. And I think most people also agree that Leonard Cohen was a consummate writer whose lyrics communicated love and loss, amongst other things, with a deeply human humour, sadness and tenderness. Let's listen to Jeff Buckley's version of Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah.
your faith was strong, but you needed proof. You saw her bathing on the roof, her beauty and the moonlight overthrew you. And she tied you to her kitchen chair, and she broke your throne, and she cut your hair, and from your lips you drew the Baby, I've been here before I've seen this room and I've walked this floor You know, I used to live alone before I knew you And I've seen your flag on the marble arch And love is not a victory march It's a cold and it's a broken hallelujah Hallelujah time when you let me know what's really going on below but now you never show that to me do you but remember when I moved in you and the holy dove was moving too and every breath we drew is hallelujah hallelujah Maybe there is a God above But all I've ever learned from love Was how to shoot somebody who outdrew you And it's not a cry that you hear at night It's not somebody who's seen the light It's a cold and it's a broken hallelujah Hallelujah
Interestingly, the field of psychology refutes the idea that perfectionism is good. In a recent article titled, Is There an Antidote to Perfectionism?, psychologist Thomas Greenspon drew upon clinical observations from 35 years of psychotherapy practice to emphasize that anxiety and other mental health problems often accompany a perfectionist mindset, a conclusion also reached by much previous research too. Quoting, The most successful people in any given field are less likely to be perfectionistic because the anxiety about making mistakes gets in your way. So what's the conclusion here? Clearly the struggle for perfectionism has birthed some of the world's greatest artists. But it doesn't necessarily appear that those people were making a straight choice. It seems like it was rooted deep within their psyche. And maybe it's a very select number of them who've had a magical combination of natural talent and the drive to force it out at all costs that have bubbled up to the surface that have become the legends that we know today. Other notable musicians have come out against perfectionism too in music. Dave Brubeck famously said, don't be a perfectionist, leave that to the classical musicians. And Paul Simon said, people often called us perfectionists, but we were not looking for perfection, we were looking for some kind of magic in the music. So let's take the whole idea of perfectionism and turn it somewhat on its head. I'm going to play a song by a band called the Violent Femmes, and I chose this band specifically because of the way their records sound, because of the very fact that to some ears their playing might appear somewhat sloppy, and the vocals far from what primetime TV shows would have us believe is good, and far from the consummate professionalism of the classical or jazz world. In fact, they have a somewhat ragged sound, and to me they have the sound of students living in a squat. This is far from the world of music conservatories, and I could see that the teacher Fletcher would hate this music with a passion. Uh, with a passion. And yet this band is hugely influential, with an ongoing cult status. So let's take a listen. Shoot, shoot. 
affairs Share a smoke, make a joke Grasp and reach for a leg of hope Words to memorize, words hypnotize Words make my mouth exercise Words all fail the magic prize Nothing I can say when I'm in your thighs Come on, my, 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 my mother I would love to love you, lover City's restless, it's ready to pounce Go in your bedroom, ounce for ounce And more, my, 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 my mother I would love to love you, lover City's restless, it's ready to pounce Go here in your bedroom, ounce for ounce I'm giving you a decision to make Things to lose, things to take Just she's about ready to cut it up Wait a minute, honey, I'm gonna add it up That was Add It Up by The Violent Femmes. Now, some people will be thinking that that was rubbish. How can you possibly stand that up next to the previous pieces? But that is precisely the point. For the band that The Violent Femmes are, artsy, grungy, they sound exactly right. More to the point, if they played their music with the kind of discipline employed by others, their songs would more likely sound flat and characterless. They created a sound that was distinctly the Violent Femmes. The whole punk movement was about that. It was about picking up instruments, barely knowing three chords and playing, but playing with passion and conviction. And on some of those early punk records, the level of musicianship was truly awful. But on some of them, magic was created. The raw energy of youthful rebellion was transplanted directly onto them. And people look back at them, and they can still hear it as loud and clear today as 1977. And in a sense, they are perfect by virtue of their imperfections. Unlike classical or jazz, they typically mirror their audience. And their audience was imperfect. They were a snarling, sweating, zitty pack of rabid teenagers. Something that I've noticed in my own recordings particularly in early demos of songs, is that I often find that the unplanned little sounds, the unforeseen additions in the mix, are what I gravitate to most. So why is that? More often than not, those things are mistakes that would be erased in the final version, but somehow they give the sound a uniqueness. Often it's those of-the-moment additions that bring the true art out or speak to the audience in a unique way. And I think it's fair to say that that's why more people connect with rock and roll than modern jazz. Even though your average jazz musician's skill far exceeds that of a rock or punk band, it's because that type of music just speaks directly to its audience. And, of course, its audience is more mainstream. So that comes to our central question. What is perfection? Many people think that Nirvana's Nevermind album is one of the greatest alternative albums of all time. But Kurt Cobain thought it was too slick, too cleanly produced, and you can see him rejecting the whole sound in the band's follow-up album and their final record, In Utero. It was a lot rougher than Nevermind. Now, if you listen to my show about Faith No More, you will know that Jim Martin, the original guitarist of that band, hated their album Angel Dust, an album that many people, myself included, consider to be their best. So it seems, then, that when it comes to rock and pop music, and much other art, to be fair, that perfection and its close companion genius is really in the eye of the beholder. It is as subjective as the art itself. So this next song was easily the hardest of this episode to choose. Why? 
because I wanted to play a song that combines both technical and creative elements harmoniously into something that is perfect. Think about that. It's tough to do. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought that it might invite the ire of many listeners. And that's because whilst the technical elements are somewhat objective, the creative elements, the song itself, are highly subjective. I thought about playing something from the heavy metal genre simply because generally that's where you find a lot of demonstrated virtuosity. Maybe some early Metallica or Opeth. Or maybe I'd swing in the other direction and play Talking Heads for all of its innovative musicality and unique voice. Or maybe I would play Michael Jackson's Beat It, a perfect pop song in performance, production, and with a bit of Eddie Van Halen thrown in for musical virtuosity. And so, as I had previously concluded that perfection is often in the eye of the beholder, I figured that I should really just play whatever I wanted. So here is Purple Rain by Prince.
So this is my definition of perfection in music. Perfection comes from the harnessing of sound, tone, feel, and the crafting of that into something that speaks deeply to the listener, such that their perception of it is that it could not be any better than it already is. It's that last part of the definition that I think is the most important. Perfection is both tangible and intangible but it's the intangible element of it that speaks most directly to the soul. I think it's also true to say that perfection needs to be paired with a certain level of natural ability. Being old enough to understand this, I think that while I certainly could have been a better musician than I am today, I'm not really sure that I could have ever achieved the pinnacles that others did simply because I wasn't starting from a position of high enough natural talent. I've seen it occasionally in other people that I've played with. They've just possessed a much greater aptitude towards the understanding of music than me. And that's fine. That's just a reality. So, is perfection worth striving for? This is a question I've asked myself many times. And like I say, I'm not by nature a perfectionist, so it's more of a theoretical conundrum for me. But the question is, would I give up my family and friends, money maybe even a roof over my head, if I had the opportunity to become a legendary musician? I'm not sure, but I feel that for me the answer is no. Or that if I was going to do it, I would have done it by now. But for those people who did do it, David Helfgott, Charlie Parker and Leonard Cohen, to name three, they gave us an incredible gift. In a sense, they laid down their own lives forsaking their own happiness, mental stability and quality of life so that ours might be a little richer. They made tremendous personal sacrifices of their own quality of life so that we might enjoy the fruits of their despair. And that's it. Thank you for listening to the Hogtown Music Podcast. My debut novel, Hogtown Book One, is available now on Amazon. Connect with me. I would love to hear about your favorite bands and the new music that you're listening to, about gigs and stories that you'd like to hear on this show. I'm on the World Wide Web uh, and social media on Twitter at Chris Live, Facebook at CJ Livingstone Author, at hogtownbook.com, and at Livingstone C on Instagram. So hopefully we'll meet again in two weeks. And now from the movie Whiplash. Is caravan.